Today's scripture is from Genesis 37, 18 through 28, and 50, 15 through 21. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to the father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lift him out, lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave his command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for, for, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive, and they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we got interrupted because of Pentecost. But two weeks ago, I talked about the story of Jacob. Jacob, who became Israel, and uh, we talked about how he ended up marrying both Leah and Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel, but he ended up getting stuck also with Leah, and uh, how he had been kind of a trickster in his life, and especially upset because his father favored Esau above above him. Uh, And now we are talking about Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons. Now, Joseph, uh, even though Jacob had uh, 
not like that his father had shown favor to his brother Esau, uh, Jacob, in fact, showed favoritism in his own family. He did not learn the lessons of his father. And so he loved two sons above all his other sons, and they were the sons of Rachel, the wife that he wanted. Their names were Joseph and Benjamin. And so Joseph was the firstborn of the wife that he wanted, and so Joseph was absolutely the favorite son of all of his sons. And uh, so that's where our story gets started, in the favoritism of Jacob for Joseph. In fact, he favors him so much that he gives him this special cloak to wear. And really, the Hebrew here is kind of confusing. It's often translated as a, a coat of many colors, a colorful coat. Uh, it was one time translated as a techno-colored dream coat, if you remember. Um, but so he has this mark, this special symbol of the favoritism that Jacob has for him. And um, Joseph does not help his cause either. Uh, he does not seem to be someone that sort of lords it over his brothers, but he has these two dreams. In the one dream, there are all these sheaves of grain uh, in fact, 11, and then two other ones that end up bowing before him. And then he has another dream where the, there's the sun and the moon and 11 stars that all come and bow before him. And so he looks at these dreams and says, well, it must be my brothers and my family are going to bow before me. Now, his older brothers do not like this. Okay, he doesn't like, they don't like the dream. They don't like the favoritism. They don't like him strutting around. If he is strutting, maybe he's not, but he's definitely wearing this cloak that his father gives him in favoritism. So when he's about 17 years old, uh, his father sends him out to see his brothers and his brothers capture him. They seem to beat him up and then throw him in a pit. The plan is they're going to kill this brother that is, has so much favoritism. And they are led by the brother that seems to always get in trouble. And his name was Judah. If you go back and read in the midst of the Joseph story, you'll find some other stories about how Judah is really a pretty terrible guy. But Reuben, one of the sons, fights for Joseph's life and says, Let, let's, not, let's not kill him. Okay? Let, let's not kill our father's son and bring wrath down upon us. So right about then, some, uh, a, a caravan comes through, uh, and, and Judah gets this idea, right? Well, if we just kill him, we don't make any money either. So let's sell him. Although that caravan is, they're the Ishmaelites, which means they're distant relatives, because Ishmael is the, is the brother of uh, Isaac. So they wait, and they see a Midianite, a, a foreign company coming through on their way to Egypt. So they take their brother they sell him into slavery. They take that precious coat of his and they put blood on it, goat's blood, so that it looks like he has been killed. And they take it to their father and they say that their son, that his son uh, has been killed. And we know from the story that uh, Jacob is sad for a very long time, that his favorite son is no longer there. Joseph is taken to Egypt where he is, he's been sold into slavery and he goes to the house of this man named Potiphar. He's just an Egyptian, uh, uh, some kind of man of authority or uh, of wealth, means that he can have a son. But Pot Potiphar uh, puts Joseph to work in his house and Joseph works well. He works hard and the, the text says God favors him. And so what he works at works out. 
And so eventually, Joseph, even as a slave, is basically running Potiphar's house. Okay, anything that... Potiphar, the text even says he can go away and he just leaves Joseph in charge of the house. And the house is blessed and he makes money and the house goes well under his care. There's only one thing that Joseph is not allowed to touch or mess with. That's Potiphar's wife. Okay, Potiphar's wife is all hands off. You're not allowed to mess with my wife, right? That makes sense. Trust Joseph in everything, but your wife is your wife. Okay, this arrangement works out to everyone's benefit except Joseph's wife, or um, Potiphar's wife, who would like to be with Joseph. And so she goes to Joseph and tries to tempt him, tries to seduce him, tries to bring him, but, but he won't do it. He keeps saying, look, Potiphar trusts me with everything. Why would I ruin all that to be with you? And then one time she, she finally gets a hold of him. And she's, she's trying to get, and so what he does is he kind of gets out of a cloak and goes a-running. But the problem is now she has his cloak. And she goes to Potiphar and says, look, I have his cloak. He has been trying to seduce me. It's been the opposite. But he said, this, this is, he was trying to seduce me, and I have his cloak. I have proof that he was trying to mess with me. And uh, um, you, in those days, a woman and a man were not supposed to be so close, particularly out in public. And particularly if it wasn't your spouse, you would not touch each other. So for her to get the cloak, uh, she is proving that he had to have been close to her. So Joseph runs away, his cloak in the dust, but she get, he gets then in trouble with Potiphar because Potiphar believes his wife and Joseph ends up getting thrown in jail. So for the second time, you understand, Joseph has a coat that gets him in trouble. Okay, two times he's left this coat and ended up running into trouble. He ends up in jail, but again, God is with Joseph. He works hard and is trustworthy, and eventually the jailer puts him in charge of the section of the prison that he's in. Okay, So Joseph is in prison now, he's working hard, he's trustworthy, and now as a prisoner, he's running that portion of the jail. Two of... Uh, Pharaoh's workers come to be put in prison there. One is Pharaoh's cupbearer. The other is his baker. Okay, so these would have been, in those days, okay, your cupbearer and your baker are two people that, that you have to really, really trust. Because if you're Pharaoh, people are going to try to poison you. They're going to try to get to you. So these are people that, that Pharaoh needed to trust. And if they're in jail, it's because somebody was out to get Pharaoh. Okay, somebody was out to poison Pharaoh or he got sick and thinks one of them tried to do it. So they end up in jail and they both have dreams in jail. The cupbearer has a a dream of a vine with three branches. And in the dream, he takes the grapes, presses them and puts them into Pharaoh's cup. And the baker has a similar dream, but he's holding three, again, three cake baskets So he's got these sort of baskets that he's holding with uh, things that he's baked in it, except instead of giving them to Pharaoh, birds are coming in and eating of what he has baked. So Joseph's walking through this area of the prison. He sees that they're distraught. He goes over to them and says, well, why are you guys so distraught? And they, they tell him the dream. And Joseph then interprets their dreams for them. And he says to the cupbearer, that in three days, you saw three vines, three branches, in three days, uh, the king is going to come and you're going to be restored and you're going to again be the cupbearer for the king. 
And he said, when that happens, remember me, because I'm wrongfully in here. And then he says to the baker, the, to the baker, in three days you will be hung and the birds will eat of your flesh. In other words, he calls it, it's the baker that was out to get the Pharaoh. It happens just as he says. Joseph tells the cupbearer to remember him before Pharaoh, but the cupbearer does not hold up on his side of the bargain. Let me pause here and just a little note about dreams. Uh, I don't know about you. I have known some people that are get really weird about the interpretation of dreams. Do you know these people? Okay. And I, for one, have either weird dreams or I don't remember them. So dreams have not been a big, important part of my faith, really. Um, but I wonder if, um, looking at the Bible, there's a lot of places where dreams become important. In the Joseph story, but then there's this other Joseph in the New Testament and his wife Mary where God speaks through dreams. I wonder if in our dreams, not just our night dreams, but in our daydreams, sometimes God is speaking to us in ways that we don't quite pick up on or we're not used to thinking about. Uh, I know I've heard testimony from people that do ministry in Muslim countries where they're not allowed to talk about the gospel, where, um, where Muslims are having dreams of Jesus and uh, Jesus is coming to them and speaking to them in their dreams. And they end up sort of finding out who Jesus is then. So I don't know what we do with dreams totally. I, I'm, I'm Presbyterian and very logical. So this dream stuff I'm not sure about. But there's definitely a biblical basis for us paying attention to our dreams in a little bit different way. It's actually a dream that gets Joseph out of prison. The cupbearer does not remember Joseph until two years later, two years later, Pharaoh has two dreams, and it freaks Pharaoh out. One is of seven good fattened calves, and then seven ugly thin calves, and the thin calves consume, they eat the big fat calves. Then he goes back to sleep, he has another dream of seven ears of grain that are good and full, and then seven ears that are thin and damaged, and the bad ones then eat the good ones. And this troubles Pharaoh, and so he's complaining about it, and one of the people he complains about it to is who? The cupbearer. That's right, the cupbearer is there, probably. He said, bring me some wine, I'm having a rough day here. So the cupbearer comes in and sees he's upset. Why are you so upset? Again, he'd be one of the trusted people for Pharaoh. And then when he hears the dream, he remembers his offense of forgetting Joseph. He says, I know a guy that interpreted my dream and the baker's dream, and he got them both right. He's in jail. And Pharaoh says, go get him. And Joseph ends up coming, and Pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph then is asked to interpret the dream. Joseph said, it's not I, but God who will give the meaning. Joseph says they're actually the same dream. They're actually the same dream. There's going to be seven good years where there's going to be lots of grain and lots of produce. And then there's going to be seven really bad, thin years of famine. And so the famine is going to consume all the extra of the first seven years. And because God is doubling the dream, it means God has made up his mind. There is no changing this fact. So he says to Pharaoh, you should keep back one-fifth of your crops for the next seven years in storehouses and protect them here in Egypt and then we will have crops to get through the next seven years. Because the first seven are going to be so bountiful, we're going to have enough to get us through. He says you should get overseers from different regions to hold back the food and bring it and be in charge of it. 
Pharaoh and his advisors are amazed by this. They really see the value of the dream and the wisdom of the idea. And Pharaoh decides who better to lead this than the person who hears from God enough to get an understanding of how this should be. And so he puts Joseph in charge. And really, uh, this becomes such a big deal that eventually Joseph is basically in charge of Egypt. Yeah, he's in charge of all the overseers who are overseeing various interesting, or all these places of enterprise that are then bringing grains to the storehouses for Pharaoh to protect. Now by this time, Pharaoh, but when Joseph, the text says, when Joseph becomes a member of Pharaoh's household, he's 30 years old. So this is, he, he was how old when he was thrown in the pit? 17, and now he's 30. So, for seven years, he works to gather these things so that when the famine comes, not only do, does everyone survive, but Egypt makes a lot of money because they're the only people that were prepared for this famine, and this famine hits all over the world. There's an important lesson here, I think, for all of us in, in Joseph, and that is don't despise where God puts you. I know a lot of people who, who think their, their work is beneath them, think their job is beneath them and they despise it and they don't work hard and they don't do well because they think, well, I'll work hard someday when I get a good job or where I really get responsibility, where my boss really appreciates me. Right. But here's Joseph. He's a slave in Potiphar's house and he works hard and he's honest and he gets a lot of leadership there. And then he goes to jail and guess what he does there? Does he complain and despise? the? No, he works hard and he's honest, and he ends up getting leadership there. And then when he gets to, to before Pharaoh, he's put in charge of the whole place. Too many people, God gives you a little bit of responsibility. And you complain that it's not what you wanted and it's not enough. And so we don't work hard and we don't stay honest. And then we are surprised when good opportunities don't come our way, when we're the ones who despised the little opportunities that God gave us to start. Wherever God places you, work hard. Make the most of it. Glorify God in whatever you can. Be honest and hardworking and see where God takes you from there. Joseph does this, and for seven years he has this authority. And then when the famine starts, all of Egypt saved. Everyone starts to need Egypt, so Egypt starts making money. And one of the other places where this famine hits is where? Israel, the promised land. So while he's been in Egypt now for some 20 years, remember, 17-year-old to 30, now seven years of plenty, now we're at 20 years, now we're somewhere in the famine, over 20 years since he's been home. Now his parents and his siblings are struggling with the same famine. And where do they have to go to get grain? To Egypt. So here comes in his brothers, all except Benjamin. Jacob will not send Benjamin, his full brother, because he's already lost one son of Rachel. He's not going to lose his other favorite son. Okay, so ten brothers come marching in to see Joseph. Now it's been over 20 years. But when they're together, he can recognize his brothers, right? But they assume he's dead. And he is dressed like an Egyptian. And he's the Lord of the Egyptians. He's the one they have to bow to. So they do not recognize him. 
They do not expect their brother to be the lord of the Egyptians. They think he's probably dead by now from what they say. But he can recognize his ten brothers when they come walking in. He knows who they are. He deals harshly with them then. For three days he accuses them of being spies. Your spies just come here to see how bad it is or to come see where you can come in and steal our grain. Joseph makes them leave one brother and go back and get their younger brother, his full brother, Benjamin. What he says is, prove to me you're not a spy. Prove to me that you're honest. Go get me this other brother and I'll see if your story checks out. So he sends them on their way, fills up the satchels of their donkey with Donkeys with grain so that they can leave. But here's what he does. He puts some of the money that they gave him for the grain into the satchels. So it looks like they stole the satchel. They stole money from them. Okay, and he sends them on his way. He gets back um, uh, in the middle of this discussion before he sends them off. Reuben says that this is all punishment for their treatment of Joseph. You remember, Reuben was the one who, who argued not to kill him in the first place. What they are arguing, they're arguing in Hebrew, okay? Because they don't think the Lord of the Egyptians speaks their little language. They don't know it's his brother. So he knows all of what they're saying in Hebrew because he can understand his brothers. So he has to, he, he gets so upset he has to cry and leave. And so he ends up tying up Simeon, keeping him, and sending the other ones back. But he hides the money in there. So they go back to, the, to Israel. They go back to Jacob. They go back to the promised land. And they have to explain to all this. And partway back, they realize that they've got money still. That not all the money that was supposed to be given was given. So now they look like thieves, right? Now they look like thieves, and when they tell this all to Jacob, do you think Jacob is excited to send Benjamin with them? No. And so he holds off. And they've lost Simeon now. He's still back in Egypt. But they hold off. They use the grain that they have. But eventually, the famine continues and they run out of grain again. So now they're stuck. They can starve or they've got to go make things right with this person who was so harsh to them in the promised land. So here's what Jacob decides to do. He's going to have to send Benjamin because if he doesn't send Benjamin, he knows they're going to get in trouble. He sends them double the money that they, brought the first, that they accidentally took or that looks like they stole to give money plus money and then they, they bring gifts to this Lord who was harsh to them. When they finally get there and Benjamin is there, Joseph is just overwhelmed. It's his, it's his brother, his full brother, the one who was not out with them when they were trying to get rid of him. So he decides to test his brothers. Remember, he doesn't trust his brothers. They sold him into slavery. Why would you trust these men? So he again has them load up their satchels with grain. He puts money back in their saddle, but he also hides his own silver cup into one of their satchels, the satchels of his full brother, Benjamin. And he sends them off, and then he sends his men after them. And they chase and they get them and they say, one of you stole the, the Lord's uh, silver cup. It's, you have to have it in your satchels. And they say, no way, we would never do that. And they emptied out the satchels. And sure enough, in Benjamin's donkey there is this cup. So they bring him back. And Judah stands up for the family and says, look, Benjamin didn't do this. 
And even if it was Benjamin, it would kill my father if he lost another one of Rachel's sons. And Judah says, just take me instead of my brother. Take me instead of my brother. Well, this is the breaking moment for Joseph, right? Because this is the brother that was the ringleader that got him sold. And now what's he saying? I will sacrifice myself for my brother, Benjamin. So Joseph starts to weep. He kicks everybody out but his brothers, although the text tells us that all of Egypt can hear him weeping. And he tells his brothers who he is. He says, don't be distressed, because he can tell they would, he has the right to have them killed, right? And they're nervous that he's going to do that. He said, God sent me before you to preserve your life. Well, rumors then spread all through Egypt that uh, his brothers are back. They come, the news gets to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, Joseph, it, there's a famine. Go get your whole family and bring them here so they can just be a part of our house. They can be a part of the king's house and they can have the grain that they need. So that's what he does. They go and they get the whole family, including Jacob. They bring the whole family to Egypt And finally, Joseph is reunited with his father, who for a lot of this story, he assumed had died of old age. Later, uh, while they are living in Egypt and spared from this famine, Jacob dies. And so the Egyptians embalm him so that he can be returned to the land of his fathers. And um, but this makes his brothers really nervous because they again wonder, well, maybe Joseph was just being nice. Because our father was still alive. But Joseph reassures them. He says his intentions are good. Joseph can look back now, and even though his brothers meant to harm him, God had saved countless people through him. He can look back and say, look, if you hadn't sold me into slavery, I wouldn't have been in the position years later to tell Pharaoh what was going on. So we wouldn't have predicted the famine. Which means thousands of people would have died of starvation. So here's the phrase he uses. Jan read it. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now this is one of my life verses. This is one of the verses I come back to again and again. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. In Christianity, we debate free will and sovereignty. Free will, God lets us make our own choices. Sovereignty, God has his way and God is in control. And we all, uh, we just basically end up doing what God tells us to. And I think the truth is somewhere way more complicated than that. How can God mean something, or how can a human mean something that's terrible? And God take that and mean something else for it. But that's the story of Joseph. That God can sometimes take very difficult things, very broken things, things that people mean to harm us, and he can somehow use those in his plan. Like, like take, you intended it, but I'm going to just wrap that in. I'm going to bring something good out of that anyway. And we don't always get to see that. We don't always get to understand that. But we've got to learn the lesson of Joseph. That whatever God puts before us and wherever God places us, we've got to work hard and we've got to be trustworthy and we've got to do the things that God calls to, uh, to, for us to do right in front of us. Because we don't know. We may not like this job. We may not like this relationship. 
We may not like the situation that we're in, but we never know what other good God might have from it. And so it's our job to live with character, to keep working, and to trust that God might not just bless us, but God may put us through some hard things because he wants to bless other people on the other side of it. And so we've got to keep working. Whether we're in jail, whether we're as as slaves, or whether we are in charge of a whole bunch of people in Egypt, wherever God puts us, we've got to keep being faithful. That's the story of Joseph. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even dark things in our lives, you you can actually bring good out of. Lord, we don't always get to see that good. Sometimes we wish we would. But Lord, let us live our lives in trust, being faithful to what you call us to do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.